You're listening to a sermon from Lakeview Baptist Church. We would love to have you worship God with us this Sunday at 1045 in the morning and at six o'clock in the evening as we make, nurture, and equip disciples of Jesus Christ in Auburn and throughout the world. Well, I know most of you, all of you love me and I love you, but I know the same thing is going through your mind that is probably going through my mind. I'd rather hear Pastor Brian any day. And I mean that. I mean that if I could choose anybody to hear, I would choose him. I really do mean that. So turn your copy to God's Word, 2 Corinthians 2.14. 2 Corinthians 2.14, and we'll dig in there. But let me get started with prayer. Lord, we thank you for your Word. We thank you for the privilege you've given me today. And I pray, Lord, that you would continue to fill me with your Holy Spirit, anoint me, anoint this word, your word, for these dear folks to hear a word from you, not from me. Hide me behind the cross. May we see your incredible resurrection power today. And you are ascended to the Father now, praying and interceding for us. And thank you so much for that. Help us to forget about the worries and the cares of this world and sink in and hear your word, Lord, to hear from you. And I pray it in the precious and loving name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, I'm a J.R.R. Tolkien fan. and and, um, I've listened to it. I've watched them. I've read them and uh, everything. But the Lord of the Rings, um, in the Lord of the Rings, J.R.R. Tolkien, and he introduced a character named Strider early in the book, the first book. He's a man that in this case is literally and physically cloaked in mystery. He's kind of hiding over in the corner of the, it's called the Inn of the Prancing Pony. And he's got this scruffy appearance. We find out later he's a ranger going around riding through the plains of Middle Earth protecting hobbits and elves and humans from the black shadow and Sauron. So he's covered up, mystery. And then Frodo and the other hobbits come in. And they meet Strider in the end of the, at the end of the Prancing Pony. They're looking for help on their dangerous journey. And should they trust him? They're not sure what to do. He did not look like a very trustworthy man at this time. He didn't look at all like what he really was behind the scenes. Later on, we find out that this man is in the line of the great kings of Isildur. We think and remember that now his name later on will be called Aragorn. And so he didn't look at all like what he was going to be. And like Strider, does it ever bother you? It bothers me. (laughs) There seems to be a great discrepancy between what the Bible says about us and what we really are in our daily lives, in our experience. We are called, if we're born again, adopted by God, our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, we are called sons and daughters of the King of kings and Lord of lords. We are, in Romans 8, we're more than conquerors, we're super conquerors, not by a narrow escape, but an overwhelming margin. Super conquerors. So why do we not look or see ourselves as more than conquerors in reality? In other words, the picture that God has of you and me is not what we see so many times in ourselves, in reality. Why does it not match reality? 
Is it just a glamour photo that occurs once in a while? The Bible says that, uh, talks about us in various analogies. One, we are crucified with Christ, nevertheless we live, yet not I but Christ lives in me. In the life I now live in the, by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Or we are in Galatians 5, to walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. One I really like is we are treasures and we have these treasures and jars of clay in the sense that um, we're jars of clay and sometimes it ha they have to be cracked for the glory of God to shine forth. So the word I want to use, and I will define, is appropriate. The word appropriate. We must believe, we must appropriate what God says about us. Appropriation is not something that we've got to gain, something new that we've got to gain, but it's just to set aside something that we already have and believe it and trust what God says about us. That's what faith is. We're to practically possess it and use it. One of my favorite verses, Ephesians 1.3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every, blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. If we have it, we don't need to be asking for it all the time. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us enabling us to do what he asks us to do in the power of God and we begin to believe him by faith and see him doing it in us. In John 4, Jesus says, whoever drinks of the water of life that I give shall never thirst. Greek says ume, it's an emphatic negative, thirst again, may never, never thirst again. So why do we see so many Christians thirsting and living lives that are dissatisfied and filled with emptiness? I see God's picture of you and you don't look a thing like your picture. John the Apostle says, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Uh, so it's not so much how much faith we have, but what kind of faith we have. We, do we have this conquering faith, trusting Christ, enabling power in us? It's a faith that trusts Him for its power, for His power. Now, if I ask you a question and I said, how many of you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Most everybody here would say, of course I do. But if I were to follow that up with how many of you today have overcome the world? I think we'd lose a few on that one, including me. Uh, so I want to share with you a scripture. I, want, I believe the reason we do not look like our photo, God's picture of us, is because either one, we are either ignorant of a certain truth, or two, knowing it, we have failed to appropriate it. We have failed to grasp it, to hold it, to practically possess it and use it as our own. In order to appropriate the Word of God in us is what God calls us and He says we are, number one, we must be aware of our need. You must be aware of our need. And number two, we must realize it is already ours in Christ. So let's look at the Word of God here in 2 Corinthians 2.14. Just a little background. Um, there's much more to it than this, but it appears that in Asia, Paul's plans have been completely falling apart. He had a real tight relationship. Think of your best friend, and your best friend has told you he was going to come, but they're not there, and you're concerned for them. Where was Titus? 
A letter had been sent to Corinth. He didn't know exactly what was going on there, if they received the letter well or not, what was going on in Corinth. Paul says he has opened doors in Troas. It was a big city at that time, and, and, but he had no peace in going through it, no peace in his heart to walk through these doors. So humanly speaking, it looked like the end of the battle with Satan as the victor, except for one thing. Paul had a conquering faith. He was able to break out in a song of praise, and here's what he writes. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but a, as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Now I want to call your attention to the first verse there. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. Now in that statement, Paul gives us the truth, the principle, the key, whatever you want to call it, to living a victorious Christian life that God has given us. He does it in other places, a number of other places, but here it's kind of a unique way. Notice the phrase, thanks be to God who always leads us in his triumph in Christ. Always leads us. Now those words, always leads us in his triumph, those are the translation of one Greek word, triumbuo, and that word was a technical term for a custom that was common among the Roman armies of that day. And so when Paul wrote these words to the Corinthians, they would see that word, they immediately knew what it was, and they got the picture. They understood what Paul was saying. And because of this, I am greatly indebted to Ron Dunn and Scott Haffman and George Guthrie in understanding this passage in this particular place here. So what is this Roman triumph? The Christians, or excuse me, the Corinthians knew that when the Roman army went out to wage war, and when they had won the victory, they immediately dispatched a herald to run back and declare the victory has been won. The victory has been won, and so they have a herald, and so really the word herald is what we use for a preacher and pastor, and that's what we're doing. We're up here in the pulpit and saying, the victory's been won. Now act like it. The victory is won. The victory is won in your life. The victory is won in my life. The victory has been won. So we preach the Word of God. We are going ahead of the conquering hero. The victory has been won. So the city would get ready. They'd get preparations for it. They would, they would get pre preparations for the triumphal processional. There would be a certain kind of incense, an aroma, a perfume. And so you would, if you got up in the morning and you opened up your door and walked out and you started, you smell this perfume or fragrance, you knew that fragrance and you knew we're going to have a celebration. We're going to have a fantastic time. We're going to have something like an American ticker tape parade. So on that day, the commanding general would ride in, the conquering hero, he would return. He would be conquering, he'd be in the, a chariot, a fantastic chariot with four white horses in front of him. And they were waiting for the commanding general. And right before the commanding general, they would be led for 
by a priest. And the priest would have the fragrance and the aroma swinging the censers, and they'd be going all out. But the main figure is the commanding general. This victorious general be riding in this gold-plated chariot with four white horses. Right behind the chariot in chains were the officers of the defeated army. They had been put in chains and dragged behind the chariot of this triumphant general in humiliation and dust. Now some of these men would later be executed. They were enemies of the state. They were enemies of the commanding general. They were enemies of the people. And they'd be executed, dragged off to their death. And some would be put in slavery. But the main figure is the chariot. When the people saw the chariot, they would just get so excited, shouting and cheering and throwing, throwing garlands up into the air. And when they, but when they saw the officers, they even got more excited, the officers behind the chariot, they got more excited because those were their enemies. And they, were being, they had been defeated. They would not be able to come in and destroy their way of life. They had been defeated. So because of this manifestation of the power of the hero, the enemy had been defeated, had been conquered. So what Paul is doing is Christianizing this triumphant processional. Here's what he's saying. There was a time when I, Paul, was at war with Jesus Christ. I fought to destroy the way. There were hostilities between God and myself, but the Lord Jesus Christ conquered me. The Lord Jesus Christ conquered me. For Paul, it was at Damascus. Where was it for you? And I have yielded to him in unconditional surrender, and he has put me in the chains of his lordship. I am in chains behind a triumphant chariot, and everywhere I go, he leads me in his victorious procession. Now, first you might say, okay, in chains, I don't quite like that. I don't like that. Well, let me tell you, you're either in chains and slavery to the enemy, or you're in chains and slavery to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And he gives you great freedom. I'm telling you, there's great freedom. Not freedom to do whatever you want, but freedom to do what is right and what you ought to do. The Lord says, my burden is easy, my yoke is light. You can't go wherever you want to do, do whatever you want to do. But it's easy compared to the burden of sin and death. The English Bible tells us that gives us a good way of saying it. It continually always leads us. Paul was basically saying, wherever I go, I may look like defeat. I may be bruised and battered and, and destroyed or try, tempted to be destroyed, but I am in victory. And what was happening is you, got, you have these uh, super apostles that were saying, you couldn't be the right, you couldn't be a real apostle because you're, you're getting beat up all the time. It's almost like the modern day gospel folks that tell us that you can't be really walking with the Lord because if you were, everything would be great. Well, no, it's not great. But Paul was saying, it may look like a failure, but I'm a conquered captive. And that means everywhere I go, I simp I'm simply following in the steps of Christ's own triumph and victory. In the wake of his victory, because I've been conquered by Jesus Christ. Now here's the key. The key is if you want to be a conqueror, you must first be conquered. Every single area of your life, every bit of your heart, you must give to Jesus Christ. If you want to be an overcomer, you must first be overcome. If you want to be a master, you must first be mastered. If you want to exercise authority, you must first submit to authority. And of course, that's the 
exactly what we don't want to do. But under authority, we have authority and we can speak with authority. I love what Alexander McLaren says. And yet I ask you, and this is a great question for all of us, has your will been bowed and broken and your heart overcome and conquered by the mighty prince, the prince of peace, the prince of life? Has your will been bowed and broken and your heart overcome and conquered by this mighty prince of peace, the prince of life? You and I are only experiencing as much victory in Jesus as Jesus is experiencing in you. If there's any area of repeated failure, and we know our repeated failures, don't we, in our life, it's a good sign that there's an area of your life over which Jesus is not yet Lord. You have to think that, and what is it? If I want to be a conqueror, I must first be conquered. So let's lay out three important keys here if we want this victory that we so desire, this victory about which Paul talks. First, this victory is in, is in Christ. Second, this victory becomes ours through submission. And third, this victory remains ours in every situation. First, this victory is in Christ, verse 14. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. If your translation says, thanks be to God who always causes us to triumph, that's not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. You see, there's a difference. You see the difference. It's not we who are triumphant. It's not we who are riding in that chariot, like maybe the prosperity gospel would say. No, he doesn't cause us to triumph. What he does in this particular passage is leads us in triumph. It's God's victory through his son. God's victory through the precious blood of Jesus Christ, rose again from the grave, seated at the right hand of the Father in power. You say, what are you trying to say? I'm trying to say the responsibility for the victory in the Christian life is not mine, it is God's. But we must learn to appropriate his victory. He won the victory 2,000 years ago. He died on the cross, rose again from the grave, ascended to the Father. Every temptation that you and I are facing that we'll, and will face tomorrow has already been overcome by Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. The responsibility is not ours. We appropriate his victory. We realize our need. That's easy. We realize it's ours in Christ. One of the best ways is to picture not only, we, we, all of us would picture this. We can picture that Christ died for us. But the scripture tells us that we died with him. Visualize yourself on that cross with him. We died with him. If we don't realize or recognize that, you can be assured that your self, our self is the dominating factor there. Because we died with him. During my high school years, I would wake up, climb out of bed, grit my teeth, and try to live the Christian life in my own power. I, I failed miserably. Uh, everything my friends did outwardly, I was in the flesh, I entertained in my thought life. I had no control until I learned and applied the enabling power of the Holy Spirit. I was crucified with Christ. I was partaker of the divine nature. You are the partaker of the divine nature. Fill with the Spirit, walk in the Spirit, and you're not carry out the desire of the flesh. The responsibility of victory is 
Christ. It's not my victory, it's God's victory. We get a little glimpse of this in David and Goliath. You know the story. David, David's um, dad says, David, go take uh, some lunch to your brothers. Take your sack lunch and you go with them. Take your lunch. It's kind of a strange thing to ask, wasn't it? But when he got up, he saw this um, big old giant there mocking Israel and mocking Israel's God. And there was Israel hiding behind the bushes. So David goes, why don't you do something about that? It's not right for him to say those kind of things about our God. And the brothers would say something like, you don't understand our situation. You go back to your sheep and go back to your poetry. Leave us alone. Well, David said, you're not doing so well handling this. So they put David's armor, put Saul's armor on David. And the Bible tells us that it had not been tested. That David had been, David had tested God when he killed, tested the power of God, when he killed the bear and the lion. And David would go, let me at him. Let me at him. I've got my slingshot and I've got my five smooth stones. And they said, okay, brother. Nice knowing you. (laughs) We know, remember what happened, right? Little David walks up there with his sling and stones and he looks up and up and (laughs) up. And uh, all of a sudden he gets that sling and stone and he remembers and here's what he says the battle's not David's the battle's not the soldiers in 1 Samuel 17 47 he says for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand some of you going through some very difficult times right now Don't think you're in failure. Only when we believe and keep our faith and keep our eyes on Christ through the swampy times, the worst times, the hard times, you're in victory because you're riding behind the chariot of the victorious general, Jesus Christ our Lord. It's not always going to look good. It didn't look good for Paul many times. But the battle is the Lord's. You see God's victory through his son. The battle is the Lord's here at our church. Jesus Christ said, I will build my church. I, Jesus, will build my church. Lord, do you mean to tell me that this is your church? This is your people? Yes, this is the Lord's church. And I know Pastor Brian would say this, it's not his church. It's not Brother Al's church. It's nobody's church except Jesus Christ's church, and he will build it, and he is the builder he and we what we should do is intercede in prayer over every single area making sure that we're behind the chariot of victory this is god's victory it's conquered captives in the chains behind the golden chariot we partake of his victory and triumph the triumph of the general the second principle to be gleaned from this verse is the victory becomes ours through submission verse 14 also but thanks be to god who in christ leads us in triumphal procession. I'm sure you've been wondering, well, don't I have any kind of responsibility? Oh, yes, you do. This is God's victory through his son. That is true. And it has become mine through submitting to him, through being under his lordship, to bowing the knee before him and letting him take care of every single area of my heart and cleansing it out and using tough times and using things in my life to let me see how evil I really am and how holy he really is. 
We bow to his lordship in every area and walk behind the triumphant general. Now you say, well, that's easy. Well, then if you think that, you've never tried it. Because here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1.9. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. So we may feel like we've got received a sentence of death, but that is to, so we don't rely on him. We don't, excuse me, we don't rely on ourselves. We rely on Christ, our Lord. I saw this in the life of a dear friend of mine named Derek Bingham. He's from Belfast, Northern Ireland. He wrote an autobiography. I don't know how he did it. <laughs> an autobiography of just of things that happened in his life in poetry. And he wrote about it called The Hawthorne Scent. He wrote about it, a man named William who was an Anglican clergyman. And here's what he said. An Anglican clergyman who knew deep sorrow, standing by the graveside of his little child, and over his heart ran emotions wild. But he read a text from a Bible chapter which changed his attitude ever after. It said, my grace is sufficient for you. And William said, Lord, let your grace be sufficient do. Lord, let your grace be sufficient do. But a voice, his attitude seemed to quiz. It said, how dare you ask God to make what is? Get up and take and you will find it true. And this truth turned out or turned his life around anew. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 12, my grace, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. My grace is sufficient. He says that to us, so believe it. His grace is sufficient. I love the old pastor that said, grace is like grits upon grits. And I like grits with bacon, if you want to. Anyway. So it's like his desire and power, he's given it to us all the time. His grace, he's given it to us all the time. Receive it. Don't hold back. Let it, let it just feel like rivers of living water. So instead of being Houdini, Houdini Christians trying to get out of the chains of his lordship, our responsibilities make certain every day, every moment, we're under his lordship, following in the wake of his victory. Every other responsibility I have flows from that one. This, in Matthew chapter 8, verse 5, just for the sake of time, let me just tell you the story real quick. Of the, the, the centurion is coming, is coming and asks Jesus for help. He has, um, needs his servant. He's lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And so Jesus... He asked him to heal him, and Jesus said, okay, I'm coming. And the, and the centurion said, don't do that. I don't need, you don't need to come under my roof. I am under authority like you with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, and go, and he goes and does it. And unto this one, do this, and he does it. And so as I first read this passage, I thought, you know, this doesn't make quite sense because what I normally think about, I am under authority. This, the centurion was under authority. He oversaw a hundred soldiers. That's why they call him a centurion. And so who? He was under the authority of the emperor. And so he had the emperor's authority and power, right? So if he did not, it was not under the emperor, he couldn't have told those soldiers to do anything. But so what 
it seems like normally what we think about is under authority that means when somebody tells me to do something, I go. But what he does is he flips it. He says, I am under authority, and with that authority, I can tell people to go here and go there and do this. And Jesus, you are under that same type of authority. You're under the, I'm under the authority of the emperor of Rome, the Roman emperor, but you're under the authority at this time, under the authority of the Father. And you can do the Father's power. You can do the, and you just go tell them to do it. So in other words, what we really need, the key is, we want to get is this, that the principle which Jesus Christ lived is the same principle that the centurion lived, Jesus Christ lived. He lived under the authority of his Father, therefore he had his Father's authority. So when we are under the Lordship of Christ, we have the authority of Christ. That's the principle which the centurion lived. He was under the authority of the emperor, therefore he had the emperor's authority. That's the, what under Jesus was under the authority of the Father. He had the authority of the King of kings and Lord of lords, and he was the King of kings and Lord of lords. That's the principle which Paul lived under. That's the principle we need to live under if we want to experience victory. Under the lordship of Christ, we have Christ's authority. We have the Father's authority. But sometimes that victory comes at great cost, doesn't it? We see it in Paul and Barnabas' life. One day the people treated them like gods, and then the other day they were stoned and dragged away out. So that's just expected. Expect there to be suffering. You are a child of the king. While we're here on this earth, you will have trouble and tribulation. Paul was being, and Paul visualized himself as one of those soldiers that had been conquered. And so he was dragged, in a way, out of the, they were, and Paul would dra be dragged out of the city. So he could continue to say, I am still under the authority of Christ. I am under his power, even when bad things happen. And here's what he said, 2 Corinthians 4. I bear about in my body the dying of the Lord Jesus, so that the life of Jesus might be made manifest through me, so that death works in me, so that life may work in you. It was an overflow of life. It's also like when Jesus said, If any man come to me and drink out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. It's like where these uh, dry wadis that you hear about in, the, in Israel and the, and the water rolls through it. And that's when it's victorious. We're just a, a dry waterbed. But God's water flows through us, right? Rivers of living water. All true Christians are conquered captives. We're behind the victorious general. Thirdly and lastly, the victory remains ours in every situation. Thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Always, everywhere, always and in every place or everywhere, always in time. We're time and place people. So always and in everywhere, every place. But what sometimes is going to happen, the passage keeps, continues to go there, in the Rome of death. Our life, our victory life, is going to reveal sin in other people's life. And sometimes those that aren't in Christ... It'll be like an aroma of death to them. So don't get discouraged if everyone, no one, not everyone accepts what you have to say. 
but there is a Rome of life. A Rome of life for those who trust, who trust in Christ in their life. So you've got always in every place, always, that's time and space. Every place, anytime, all place. So don't miss it. Your responsibility is stay behind the chariot. Your responsibility is stay under the lordship of Jesus Christ. That's your main responsibility. Yes, there's a lot of other responsibilities, but that's the key one. If you will stay that way, like get up in the morning and say, Lord, I'm yours. Do what you want to. I want to see divine appointments throughout my day. That would excite me to see you work through this clay pot in my body. So he leads me into it. If it's, There's no conceivable situation in life which he cannot give us victory. Whether we're on the deathbed or where things are going great. As long as we keep our eyes on Christ and realize that we're behind the chariot, the victory chariot of our King of kings and Lord of lords. He's already overcome it. And so in some sense of the matter, because we're behind this chariot, we walk on conquered ground. Everything in front of us, if we're being if we're filled with the Spirit, if we are believers filled with the Spirit, we walk on conquered ground. When you don't, when you know you're not, ask forgiveness and get back behind that chariot. Every time where you put your foot, you put your foot on the ground that Jesus Christ has already conquered. Because he leads you along, you simply following in his triumphant train. I wanted to show you one more thing here. The question is, who is sufficient for these things? And so in some ways we'd go, well, of course not, I'm not sufficient. But I think what Paul, look in chapter 3, verse 5. He says, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. Our sufficiency is from God, who's made us sufficient. So it goes right along with this, chained, we are slaves to Christ and his lordship, and we'll see victory at every step of the way, staying in his chains, staying behind the victory chariot. He may lead you on dry ground. He may lead you on um, the, he won't lead you on dry ground a lot of, most of the time. He, he won't even drain the swamp for you many times. But let me tell you, even when he takes you through the waters that cover your head, if you hold on to him, you'll have victory. That's victory. 1 John 5, 4 says, 4 and 5, he didn't say that faith brings the victory. He doesn't say that faith gains the victory. He said that faith is the victory, keeping your eyes on him with him ahead of you at all times. That's the victory. Faith is the victory. A conquering faith that's victory. Now we are conquered captives for taking in the triumph of the general, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And if you and I learn how to live this way in the chains behind our triumphant general, there is no conceivable situation in life which he cannot give us the victory. Now someday, in the presence of our Heavenly Father, the picture that he has of us will be reality. It'll be a beautiful picture. It'll be a gorgeous picture because we'll reveal the Lord Jesus Christ to all the world. So this picture is not a true picture now, but the more we walk with him behind the chain, chain our chains and our lordship, we'll see 
a reality, a picture, a beautiful reality. And someday to the one who conquers, he says in Revelation 2, he will give us a white stone with a new name written on it. And on that stone, no one knows except the one who receives it. So, God bless you. Let's, let's turn the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you love us with an everlasting love. And you want the picture that you have of us to look more like the reality in our life right now. Abundant Christian life. And so, Lord, teach us, show us areas of our life that we have not given to you. And, Lord, I pray this in the precious and lovely name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us today. If you felt the Lord leading you to respond today, whether that was to receive Christ for the first time or to take your next step in baptism, or if you have a prayer request, we want to start that conversation with you. Visit lakeviewbaptist.org slash contact to get in touch with one of our pastors. And as always, you can stay connected with us through our social media and website.